Hey everyone, thanks for checking out Grub Stakers, the podcast about billionaires. This week we're covering billionaire David Siegel, the timeshare king of Florida, the star of the documentary Queen of Versailles about the largest house being built in the United States, and the many shady practices he uses to make his billions. All that and more this week on Grub Stakers. I think we disproportionately stop whites too much. I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing, and they taught me what it was like growing up feeling targeted for your race. I am proud to be gay. I am proud to be a Republican. You know, I went to a tough school in Queens, and they used to beat up the little Jewish boys. You know, I love having the support of real billionaires. All right, you ready? In five. Hello and welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. Sean P. McCarthy here, joined by... Steve Jeffries. Yogi Polywell. Uh, Andy Palmer is out this week, but don't worry, he has assured us that had we been able to get James Adomian as a guest, he would have <laughs> he would have done his own podcast. Oh, that's that's so. a shame. <laughs> but uh, Andy Palmer will be back next week. He's, uh, he's celebrating uh, Columbus Day. Oh. But, uh, you know, on this podcast, we're not politically correct <laughs> so we don't say columbus day we say merry christmas thank you yes i'm tired of people getting away with saying columbus day those indians aren't my indians uh uh, uh christopher columbus discovered this podcast <laughs> in 1492 <laughs> and then he listened for five minutes and it said i mean i don't really get it <laughs> it's not information but it's not humor i'm yeah. not really sure what they're trying to do over there it's like it's not as funny as the funny podcast and it's not as informational as the informational podcast yeah, it's, it's just kind of like a slushy <laughs> directly into my ears you know like how sometimes mexican places will be like we got a bowl or like a plate where we just put various ingredients and you're like mm-hmm. yeah sure why not that's what we do we're not a burrito we're not a soup. We're kind of in between way too many things. Uh, the burrito bowl of podcasts. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> precisely. Uh, but so this week, uh, we're talking about uh, David Siegel of the uh, the documentary The Queen of Versailles about himself and his wife, Jackie Siegel. And uh, because we're talking about David Siegel, we are essentially talking about the uh, timeshare business, uh, which you might be familiar with. But because this is a podcast about uh, timeshares, that uh, we are happy to tell you that if you listen to the full one-hour podcast presentation, yes. there will be a free gift at the end. <gasps> All right. So we're teasing that now. Um, oh, and we can also tell you that this podcast is free, but only if you listen today. <laughs> it's free. <laughs> if you, it's going behind a paywall tomorrow. That's yeah. right. That's if you right. want to lock in this price, I, I can't guarantee <laughs> that this price will be here. If you pause it at any moment, we will be notifying you that every minute afterwards it will be an additional fourteen ninety nine. now before you turn off the podcast wouldn't you like to have a conversation with our manager andy palmer <laughs> because he can make you a deal that we can't make you you know he's off location right now doing some <laughs> scouting work for other time sensitive podcasts but trust us you're gonna really want to listen in. how would you yeah. like to have access to an all-inclusive resort podcast <laughs> whenever you want <laughs> we're like uh if if you subscribe to our patreon you can listen to up to one week of chapo patreon every year 
Uh, it's on a USB drive that we put in concrete in the Hudson River. <laughs> you have to scuba dive in and then plug in a waterproof device. But it's there. Trust mm. us. Um, but so timeshares are, uh, I mean, they're almost a joke at this point. Yeah, where it's like, Right. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's one of those things where um, it's almost like you kind of wonder in your head, why do people still smoke crack or do heroin? Yeah, why do they? Because, yeah, I mean, like, you know, uh, which separate issue. But essentially... Everything about timeshares and timeshare sales is like, oh, these people are like used car salesmen and right. they're fucking lying to you and it's a ripoff. It's more expensive than a hotel. But uh, David Siegel has managed to become a, a billionaire through uh, timeshares. So we'll kind of discuss his life and uh, and what led him down this path. But it is just worth uh, mentioning for those you know not familiar uh, with the concept of timeshares. Essentially, you buy a... Um, <clears throat> Well, a time ownership in a property, such as a condominium, you know, you buy the right to use it, say, one week out of the year, and this can either be a fixed week every year or a uh, so-called flexible week where you have to, like, pick one week out of all the other uh, supposed owners of the timeshare. And part of why it's, like, such a fucking ripoff is essentially... Uh, if you uh, quote unquote own a timeshare, you're paying maintenance fees every year, which of course the salespeople generally will not tell you about. You're paying maintenance fees, and it's al- almost impossible to unload them. Like there's really a very weak and almost no secondary market for timeshare to the point where like a lot of timeshares just sell for one dollar because somebody's just trying to get rid of the maintenance fees. You know? Yeah. And it's like, and the one other thing is essentially like there's no reason to buy a timeshare new because there are countless timeshare owners trying to unload their timeshares. Right, right. So if if you are supposedly interested in getting into a timeshare, uh, what happens is I I heard one estimate is about 50% of the cost of buying a timeshare new is the salesperson's commission and the marketing, you know, where they're giving you all these uh, free um, uh, chips in Vegas or whatever. Right, right. Uh, So it's like, it's so much cheaper to just buy it from an existing timeshare owner who's trying to get out. But all that said, it's uh, it's it's made Dave Siegel a billionaire, and it's uh, still a very profitable way of doing business in this country, uh, especially now that his friend Donald Trump is president. It's like it's sad how much disruption Donald Trump is doing. That the things that we're not talking about are going unnoticed by everyone. Right. So, and and, uh, and we'll get to this later, but uh, essentially, no one talks about how the time char- the timeshare market has been utterly decimated. That's right. That's right. The Trump administration. <laughs> everyone's he focusing. Just blew it up. Yeah. Everyone's like, focusing on Kavanaugh. We're not talking about the timeshare industry that's being decimated by this tr- these non regulations done by Trump. Yeah, I guess people stopped uh, taking vacations when they realized the world was going to blow up. (laughs) (laughs) They stopped planning one or two years in advance. I love how you're like you've advocated used timeshares instead of new because it's technically a better offer. But at the end of the day, it's like I don't get a timeshare period. Yeah. Uh, No, I would not recommend getting a timeshare. I'm just saying if you're going to buy one for some reason, there's uh, thousands of owners across the country trying to unload their timeshare desperately. uh, And timeshares are technically a regulated security Mm -hmm. by the the FTC. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. But all the marketing material, uh, just to drive the point point home, Mm -hmm. that they're a bad investment, basically. Is uh like all the ma- marketing material is that you're getting like a hard asset basically, and you have, right? You, know, you have all of this control over when you use it, and the maintenance fee is manageable because like look at all the benefits you're right. you're getting 
from just being able to show up at a, uh, a week's notice. And whatever. also, someone giving you a gift to buy something is often a scam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody's ever just like, hey, you want to buy this for me? Well, wait, hold up now. Let me, <laughs> let's see if I can tempt you. Let me give you a TV. Just listening to my pitch. I was reading a lot of charities will actually charge you money if you give them a timeshare as a gift. Oh, really? <laughs> Which is kind of funny because you're right. I mean, it's going to cost them in the, long the maintenance run. Yeah. fees and these kinds of stuff, and they have to unload it. So I, they didn't, can I actually didn't get realize money. you could donate a timeshare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What a sh- like that's worse than the like you know a stereotypical <laughs> chia pet, like the uh, <laughs> pharmacy gift you get to someone on the way to their birthday party. Like mm. I got you a timeshare. I'd rather get yeah. a star named after me than a timeshare. Yeah, the really nebulous tax deductibility. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and then the charity is like, wait, I have all these fees now. <laughs> like, sorry guys, the charity went. I don't even want it for free. <laughs> <laughs> What what happened with the charity? Well, we were raising money to end AIDS, but uh, turns out we got uh, seventy timeshares donated. The charity's the- like, uh, we can't end AIDS, but we can relieve your symptoms two weeks a year, <laughs> <laughs> depending on other uh, people's schedules who are also suffering from this ailment. You don't get to choose the two weeks, and most of the two weeks are blacked out. But there will be two weeks at one point in the future. Mm-hmm. The Make a Wish Foundation is like. Uh, oh, I can't even. I can't even begin to uh, understand what su- the suffering you're under. <laughs> but what if I told you, yeah, <laughs> that there's actually a timeshare waiting for you? I'd be so for just funny. a few dollars. <laughs> if like Make a Wish is like, well, you can either meet uh, Michael Jordan, or you could uh, throw a pitch out at a baseball game, or uh, two weeks in Boca Raton. <laughs> Um, but so David Siegel uh, has become kind of the timeshare king, and we should just mention his company, Westgate Resorts, is the largest privately held timeshare company in the world. And of course, you know, it's privately held, uh, not publicly traded, so there's much less financial disclosure requirements. So it's difficult to get a handle on his exact net worth, but Forbes magazine, for their part, put him at $940 million net worth January 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, for himself, his, his part, he says he's a billionaire. Uh, but you can just kind of assume that 940 million in January 2016 has since grown to about a billion dollars net worth. Right. Um, and uh, it's interesting where the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau was looking into uh, Westgate Resorts uh, for a variety of reasons, including you know possibly illegal aggressive sales tactics. Uh, it, they were they sent like a request for documents in 2016, and then of course. Uh, David Siegel's friend, Donald Trump, got elected president, and then the investigation suddenly disappeared. Huh. I wonder um, why that happened. But yes, you can also like look at a, a couple different uh, Trump rallies. You can see David Siegel standing right behind him clapping, which is a very profitable thing to do. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, but uh, um, Each clap was worth a hundred grand. <laughs> But, uh, oh, and the other thing is, like, he's most famous for this documentary, The Queen of Versailles, which, if you watch it, it really kind of documents um, the 2008 financial crisis, where essentially in the lead up to 07, uh, 08, they were, you know, riding high on the bubble and they were building what is the biggest home in America. I believe it still is, but it might have been surpassed. It's this 90,000 square foot uh, palace based on, you know, the Versailles Palace in France. Right. Uh, from back when they knew how to deal with rich people. <laughs> uh, Where are they building it? Uh, in I think Orlando. It's like right near Disney World. Yeah, it's in Florida. Mm-hmm. But so they, this uh, uh, 90,000 square foot uh, mansion was the subject of the documentary. 
And then uh, as the bubble exploded in 2008, they struggled to keep it. They put it on the market. They weren't able to sell it. And then eventually uh, to today, his finances have recovered. And um, they did like another tour of it in uh, 2017. His wife, Jackie, did a video tour on Facebook you can watch. And uh, they're still building it. So they still own it, this possibly biggest house in the world. Um, but it is interesting. Their fortunes have recovered since the recession. And we'll kind of go through uh, through that story. Yeah, there's a, a lot of media with uh, Jackie Siegel from uh, the documentary to her attempt at uh, starting a Kardashian-style uh, uh, reality show. And uh, boy, she's a real piece of work. It um, It's like... It's hard to watch the amount of footage I've watched <laughs> featuring Jackie Siegel, but it's just, it's like, you know, there's an air of like, well, rich people spend their money on things, but, you know, most of it's not frivolous. Most of the money this these people spend is frivolous. It's insane. It's very terrible. <laughs> Apparently his wife, Jackie Siegel, also stars in the movie that they made in their um, uh, mystery funhouse Oh, right. uh, it's a horror movie called Night Terror, which has a 3.5 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, but if you listen to the end of the episode, uh, just send us your address and you will get a DVD copy of Great. Night yes, Terror. Yes. Also, uh, Jackie Siegel was featured on the show Celebrity Wife Swap. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, we'll have more drops involving those at the end, but you must listen to the entire episode. Well, let's just kind of start uh, chronologically with David Siegel. Now, an interesting thing about uh, David Siegel is that uh, he's a, a fucking liar. <laughs> like, uh, And his own son uh, has called him a deadbeat dad, even when he was a millionaire. And uh, his ex-employees sued him in a class action lawsuit. Again, we'll get into this. But he's a fucking deadbeat who, like is a billionaire who's constantly like pretending to be broke and and you know like you see this in the documentary like he's constantly telling his kids to turn off the fucking lights and stuff like that really? you know cuz it's like again this guy who's still like a multimillionaire even during the collapse is right. like oh we got to save the the money on electricity yeah. and when we and, say multimillionaire it's not 8 or 9 million <laughs> it's it's hundreds of millions of several dollars. hundred millions yeah. but so essentially what i'm saying is that sources of his early life it's based on two interviews that he gave to two different publications. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know how reliable some of this stuff is as to where his money came from, but we'll just kind of go through the story. And this is mostly um, in his own words, but so he's born, uh, David Siegel was born in 1935 in Chicago. Um, his mother uh, was born in Indianapolis. She met his dad, uh, Sidney Siegel on a blind date in oh. 1928 um, in 1945, his parents moved to Miami, where they owned a small grocery store on South Beach, uh, and then they went into business exporting uh, furniture and appliances to the Bahamas. <laughs> That's from the Orlando Sentinel. That was the exporting furniture to Bahamas. Think of the clientele on that right there. Oh, you need a, uh, a, a fucking ottoman in the Bahamas? We're your people. That's mm-hmm. that's insane. Well, at least you get to sell them new furniture every five years when a hurricane hits. <laughs> Yeah, hotels, you know, get <laughs> right, to, right. underwater. No, you're right, though. I mean, like, that's probably a big chunk of their business was hotels and, like, corporate. But hmm. so, yeah, essentially Dave Siegel grows up in Miami. He graduates uh, Miami Senior High School in 1953. He studies marketing at University of Miami, but he drops out. College dropout, like yes. Kanye. <laughs> the MAGA clan strikes yeah, again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Two famous Trump supporters. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, Most Trump supporters are dropouts. <laughs> uh. 
Kanye got a uh, CFPB investigation into his Twitter account <laughs> shut down. <laughs> they, they they tried to make Kanye turn over his Twitter drafts. <laughs> and then the investigation was shut down when Trump was elected. Um, but so... Uh, CFPB, I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> But so basically, uh, the way Dave Siegel tells the story is that uh, one of his professors at University of Miami uh, tells him that he could uh, make money homesteading in Alaska to pay his way through uh, school. Homesteading? What's that? Well, essentially, homesteading in Alaska is based on an Alaska law that will give you like a plot of land to homestead out there. Oh, really? And I don't know how profitable that actually is, but his professor at University of Miami was was pitching him on this. Gotcha. Um, And so, uh, but he... I guess this idea was he wanted to learn how to be a pilot initially. Uh, yeah, because he, he thought he could be like a pilot in Alaska, in addition to like homesteading out there to make some money and pay his way through school. But then he also, um, this is where he went to radio and TV repair school uh, as a backup. But uh, this is according to Hotel Online. Once people in his family and stuff found out that he'd learned how to, like, repair TVs and radio, Mm -hmm. uh, family members started bringing him customers, you know, to, like, fix their, you know, TV repair and and this kind of stuff. And so then he's able to uh, drop out. And I'll just quote from David Siegel here. Uh, In 1954, I opened my first TV store in Coconut Grove. It was called Grove TV. Um, And basically... He charged his friends a, a small fee to have their TVs fixed by university professors and uh, other uh, people he met. And um, and that's the first business he does, is just fixing people's TVs? Essentially, yeah. And then, That sounds so shady. Yeah. How are you going to... How often is a TV getting repaired in this, this day, that day and age? I don't know. Well, it seems very suspect. Yeah, I guess uh, when it's the 1950s and one of the three channels goes off and uh, <laughs> a third of your entertainment options right. are now gone. Right. Uh, but so basically, he says a short time after that, this is from OK Magazine, a short time later, he uh, progressed to owning a store of his own in Liberty City and hiring a fleet of salesmen who sold refurbished televisions to the local African-American residents for a $10 down payment and a weekly payment of $5. Oh, so he's, he's time-sharing TVs yeah, <laughs> to basically. black people. Yeah, and also he like admits that his cost for these TVs were about like 10 bucks, so... Wow. I mean, he already makes his money back on the down payment, right, and then every weekly payment is just pure profit. So he's just buying shitty or broken TVs and mm. then renting them out. Right, or sell, yeah. Wow, what a fucking chooch. Yeah, but so that's how he like makes his, his first little chunk of change, uh, and then he goes to the Air Force in 1961, where his business kind of falters, but he, return- he returns in 1963... And uh, and again, this is just from Hotel Online. It's interesting where it's like, I'm always trying to find out where they got the startup capital. Right. And, you know, his parents owned this grocery store and they were exporting furniture to the Bahamas. So I think you can at least say they were middle class, if not upper middle class. Certainly. But there's there's really very little information. But it should be noted, the 50s and 60s are the greatest economy in the history of the world. Right. So another thing is, you know, these people who are, say, billionaires now are always like, just get out there and start your own business. As if, exactly. It's like it's the same fucking thing as it was in the fifties, sixties, and early seventies before the bottom fell out of the American dream. To tack on to Sean's point about how there's not a lot of information about David uh, online, if you Google David Siegel, the first result is some guy on LinkedIn. So the the photo result for David Siegel isn't even him. It's just some other random dude, which is like. 
I don't know. It's just stupid is what it is. If you pay Google a million dollars, they'll send all your search results to Flock of Seagulls. But so uh, according to David Siegel himself, uh, he comes back from the Air Force in 63, and then he uh, takes a loan of $600 from a finance company at 40% interest. And with this $600, he rented a storefront and hires a sales staff to get back into the TV game. Hmm. And so in 63, he's doing this. He's making a ton of money, he says. Uh, but then one of his uh, sales managers gets murdered by a customer. And this, like, you know, fucks him up mentally. He, like, goes into a slump. He says their house gets foreclosed on at this sure, point. Sure, yeah. Um, but, uh, and then they don't really explain this, but essentially a friend, like, kind of helps him out of his funk. He gets back in the game. And uh, by 66... He's able to buy his parents' store, like their grocery store, uh-huh. and he says he turns it into, quote, like a mini Kmart. That's from OK Magazine. Huh. And um, and then in 66, his father sells their furniture store because, uh, yeah, they had the grocery store and then the furniture exporting store. His father sells it in 66. Uh, Siegel went to work for the per- person who purchased it for a bit, but then he ends up buying it. Uh, David Siegel does. Uh he buys the grocery store and then the other business? And the furniture store. And Siegel says he also added a pawn shop, a record store, and a toys store to it. Really? Yeah, as well as like TVs and stuff. Um, and so basically from like 66 to 68, his business is doing pretty well, mm-hmm. you know, with all this stuff. But he says in August 68, rioters burned the store down. And uh, it was not. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, according to him, it was not insured, which would um, uh, portend a life of uh, incredible foresight for Mr. (laughs) Siegel, where he would uh, uh, leverage 90 to 1, giving people fucking 10% down loans, which, of course, all blew up in 2008 for his timeshares. But he says his store wasn't insured. Rioters burned it down. And uh, he was, he says, wiped out again. Hmm. Um, but essentially, at this point in David Siegel's life, he runs into an incredible streak of luck, which is what makes him a millionaire. Like, luck makes him a millionaire, and then, like, fraud and deceit <laughs> makes him a billionaire. <laughs> but essentially, the way uh, he tells the story is that in 1968, after uh, rioters burned his uh, shop down, after uh, rioters upset with the uh, usury he was charging them for their televisions, uh, expressed their dissatisfaction with his product. Those rioters were so close to sparing us the misery (laughs) of a huge timeshare market for decades. But they didn't quite get there. What are you going to do? I do like, it's like, there's really uh, a consistent pattern of a customer service experience <laughs> can be identified uh, from the moment rioters burned down his storefront in 1968. Um, hey, what year uh, did he get that loan? Uh, he says 63 after he came back from the Air Force. What, what's $600 uh, in 63? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> Make this it Steve like, work. Uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I'll do it. It'll be one of the gifts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so in 1968, he says he has a friend. Uh, so he's in Miami and he says he has a friend selling real estate for a company in Orlando mm-hmm. who's making good money. So in 1968, he moves out to Orlando and then he starts uh, selling real estate there. And then it's a huge stroke of luck that in 1971, Disney World opens right next to Orlando, Florida. Wow, so, yeah. of course, property values explode. If you're in the sales business, you're in a great spot. 
and uh, uh, not long after he uh, starts selling real estate for this company, he goes into business himself and starts buying real estate. So Walt mm-hmm. Disney, a uh, closeted anti-Semite, is the reason this Jewish guy got rich. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> and uh, Donald Trump, similarly closeted anti-Semite, is the reason he stayed rich. <laughs> it's about 5000 by the way. Oh, mm-hmm. really? It's, yeah. Something seems wrong about that. More than enough to open a business. Right, right. But, I mean, like, yeah, that's the only information I've been able to f- uh, find about his finances. I, I think I'm, I, I think you can be fairly well, certain. to rent a storefront. Right, right. right. And also hire sales staff, but I assume they were mostly getting paid on commission. But, yeah. I mean, it is just something where he doesn't go into detail. I'm sure he got some money from his parents, but, but you know, there's really no way of knowing. His parents own two businesses. Yeah. Grocery mm-hmm. store and the, fur- the furniture thing. Right. Yep. But the thing, to, to even, like, consider opening a business, even renting a storefront, you couldn't do that with $5,000 today. It mm-hmm. wouldn't be possible. I Probably did learn not, no. you, could, you could have somebody killed in Belize if you're John McAfee. <laughs> You can do a lot of things with five thousand. Yeah, you oh, can't, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't get rid of can't, the storefront uh-uh. in twenty eighteen. Uh-uh. Uh, but so basically, the way uh, he tells this to a couple different publications is that he buys uh, within a couple years in sixty eight. He buys twelve hundred acres for himself um, uh, near uh, Devonwood, near Orlando, and then he subdivides the land into one thousand one and a quarter acre lots. Um, and he says he sold most of the lots reportedly for 10 times as much as what he paid. Oh, wow. So essentially, and then by 1970, he sets up uh, what becomes the holding company for uh, Westgate Resorts, which is called Florida Central or Central Florida Investments in 1970. And that's a private uh, company that I believe he owns all of or the vast majority and that's the holding company for Westgate Resorts. So when he's doing the real estate stuff, is he selling property or is this also timeshare stuff? No, this, at this point, he's selling property. Gotcha. And um, uh, so he buys like uh, the Terrace Hotel in 1973. He buys an Orange Grove. He oh. says uh, in the 70s, he's making $100,000 a year growing oranges. Um, and then he also buys in 76... The the mystery fun house was like a uh, essentially a resort. You know, in '76, it's like a fun house resort that's right near Disneyland. Mm-hmm. So of course, it's like extremely possible. He says he put uh, five hundred thousand dollars into it. It returned five hundred thousand every year. So by '76, he's a millionaire. Right. Which is interesting because uh, we we kind of alluded to this, but he divorced his first wife in 1968, mm-hmm. with whom he had three children, and. Um, According to his own son in the documentary The Queen of Versailles, he was a deadbeat dad, and they were eating swamp cabbage, Ugh. which is the exact quote, <laughs> while he was a multimillionaire in Flor- in uh, Orlando. Yeah, and like the clip he talks about that he would give them money for clothes, but nothing else. They were the best-dressed kids in school, but they were They're broke. eating swamp cabbage. Yeah. Imagine like being like dressed to the nines, like wearing like you know Hugo Boss suits, and then being like... What are you eating tonight? Uh, just some swamp cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> what are you eating tonight? My Hugo Boss belt? <laughs> <laughs> Boiled, yeah. <laughs> Leather. <laughs> the best dressed children with anemia in all the neighborhood. That's right. Uh, <laughs> the best dressed kids at school 
have terrible graph in, in jaundice. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I keep having to buy them new clothing because they keep going down sizes. <laughs> you want to stay hungry. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, the original stay hungry daily grind guy. Um, but so yeah, like he's a millionaire by the seventies and he's a deadbeat dad. And, uh, it's interesting. Like uh, also by the seventies, a deadbeat dad. Yes. A deadbeat dad. And, um, it, it, we'll play this clip from Queen of Versailles, but basically his son who actually does work at, uh, Richard Siegel, who works as a vice president, uh, says, and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially my father and I only have a business relationship. We don't really have a personal relationship. And it's like, there's another clip from like, uh, uh, the Queen of Versailles, where one of his younger children, he has like nine biological children, two adopted, I believe. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of his younger children in like uh, 2009 or eight or something uh, comes up to him and says, I love you, daddy. And he says, if you love me, you'll turn off the lights. <laughs> 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 it's just the most like... It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's just kind of crazy and he doesn't seem to like have real capabilities of bonding with his children, let's say that. You yeah, know. that seems about right. He seems to uh, only care about making money and uh, fraud mm-hmm. and uh, anything that isn't money related, he seems to ignore. You know, mm-hmm. like human beings. What a fucking yeah. idiot. But, you know, if you follow the right motivational Instagram accounts, you'll learn this is what you have to do. <laughs> and this is a good way to live your life if you want to have a wife who spends a million dollars a year shopping. I mean, like, we'll talk about it a bit more, but, like, when it comes to this house that's the, mm-hmm. supposedly the biggest house, they, like, she in various interviews, she's rattling off every room that they have in this supposed uh, future mansion, mm. and it seems like a person that's making a list of rooms that could exist in a house. They're <laughs> like, I mean, there's a catering kitchen, and then a regular kitchen, and then we thought about an ice skating rink, but then we thought, you know, how long can I go ice skating, and, you know, an indoor pool, and it's like, lady, you're not, you're building a house, you're not fucking designing a house that is every room that's physically possible to put in a house it's fucking stupid i like how the house they were building in versailles was really a test of whether or not it would be possible to have another french revolution <laughs> yeah i'm just like where those those writers are like you know older and wiser now right right and they could really put something together. <laughs> um but so uh if those people are still alive those rioters from way back when and yeah like we try to put a stop to this yeah <laughs> We we know that we knew yeah. back then that this motherfucker could ruin everything, and nobody stopped him. <laughs> they later lost their money in his timeshares. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so the the mystery fun house was 1976. Uh, it actually ends up closing in 2001 because of Hurricane Irma. But uh, he said he was making at least half a million a year on it back in '76. Uh, so if not if if not before, he's a millionaire by the time he founds this fun house. But it's really, the way he tells it, a guy visits his orange grove in 1980 and wants to uh, buy 10 acres of his orange grove mm-hmm. to build timeshares. And so the guy like explains it to him, and then he's like, no, I won't sell this to you. But he oh, starts building wow. timeshares on his orange <laughs> grove. Uh, Here's what I will do for you. <laughs> it's funny, like they ask... your idea. Yeah, yeah right. They asked him about it uh, in an interview, like what happened to that guy, and he said something like, "Well, I don't really remember his name. I'm pretty sure he's dead now." <laughs> that's a that, that's clear. I murdered that guy the moment he told me that idea. <laughs> okay, I'll just leave your orange grove. Then you will not leave the grove. 
you will become the grove. On your grave, timeshares yeah. will be built. I am Antonio Montalbert. Yeah. But, you know, if you want to be a billionaire, just uh, steal somebody's idea. Yeah. That seems to be a popular way to become a billionaire. Yeah. Uh but so he founds uh, Westgate Resorts, uh, as it is, we mentioned, the largest private timeshare company in the world. He founds it in 1982, and he starts with a 16-unit resort at Westgate Vacation Villas on one of the properties he had uh, uh, purchased. And um, uh, as of today, there's over uh, 27, I think now 28 resorts, and I believe uh, 14,000 or so different rental units mm-hmm. or <laughs> ownership <laughs> right, units. right, right. right. With quotation marks. That's right. But, uh, so, so wait, so when a timeshare does that, is anyone staying in it? Or, or is everyone essentially paying fucking maintenance dues and nobody's getting to be a part of the timeshare? You're all, you're all paying. And with certain agreements, you have each have fixed terms that you like, all right, it's yours for, for, to use. Right, right, right. right. And other times it's more floating, like first come, first serve. Hmm. Right, and we'll get into this, but they're being sued uh, in a class action lawsuit for essentially their floating timeshares. One of them in Tennessee is being sued because the people said, we bought these units, and then every time we went to book our vacation, it was busy. Oh, really? <laughs> so they think they're just like selling the same property like hundreds of times and like not oh, letting wow. people use it. <laughs> Um, but I mean, it is like, that's why timeshares are so profitable because you're selling the same property, like, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of times. Yeah. It's like, I have a photo of a horse and I'm telling you, Hey, listen, once a year you can ride this horse and it's a great horse. And all you need to give me is like a hundred bucks, which is a lot cheaper than buying a horse. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Hey, can I ride you that horse? You just access to the horse now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It's a thing right. that's in your life. Look, I'll give you the photo that I have too. But, uh, when you want to ride the horse, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Meanwhile, the horse has been dead for 10 years. You go to like try to sell the horse and you're like, look, I can give you one hoof (laughs) on the secondary market. Um, But so essentially 82, he founds Westgate Resorts and business booms and uh, he becomes a billionaire essentially through this timeshare business model, which, uh, you know, I mean, it's a very scummy, shady, uh, let's say scammy way of doing business, as will be reflected in some of the different lawsuits he's been involved in, which we'll get to. But um, essentially, just to kind of take you up to uh, the year 2000, uh, he alleges uh, in the documentary that he's single-handedly responsible for George W. Bush defeating Al Gore in Florida in the year 2000. Um, And the documentary filmmaker asks him why. And he says, quote, it may uh, and he says, I shouldn't say because, quote, it may not necessarily have been legal. What he did to get Al Gore elected in 2000. He says that on, he in the says podcast? That in, the, in the, I documentary. Mean the documentary? Yes. Wow. Um, but so he kind of clarifies to Bloomberg, uh, and I'll just read you this whole quote about what he did uh, in 2000. Uh, Whenever I saw a negative article about Al Gore, I put it in with the paychecks of my 8,000 employees. I had my managers do a survey on every employee. If they liked Bush, we made them register to vote, but not if they liked Gore. The week before the election, we made 80,000 phone calls through through my call center. They were robocalls. On election day, we made sure everybody who was voting for Bush got to the polls. I didn't know he would win by 527 votes. Afterward, we did a survey among the employees to find out who voted and who wouldn't have otherwise. 1,000 of them said so. So how is that not... Yeah, apparently Bloomberg says that's not illegal. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Pulling your workers and then letting them leave... Well, wait, you didn't go over that. Well, yeah, I guess he did. Yeah. Um, 
he I guess they made sure that the Bush voting employees were able to get to the polls. So that they seems like the most illegal part. To right, right, right. Oh, you want to vote for the other guy? Well, you got to work late tonight. Certain mm-hmm. employees get benefits based on their political inclinations. Yeah, that seems mm-hmm. uh, like uh, communist China. <laughs> well, uh, the reputable website run by notoriously not corrupt mayor Michael Bloomberg <laughs> says that that is not illegal, so I'm going to trust them. But, yeah. and essentially, like, he gets uh, kind of famous in 2012 for sending an email to his employees saying that if Obama wins re-election, he's going to have to do layoffs. because And, and I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, if the government is going to take my money to, to spend my tax money and do shit, then I can't afford to pay my employees oh, anymore. God. And of course, this is a guy who like hugely benefited from Obama's uh, bailouts right. and, and these sorts of things. But neither here nor there. I, I just kind of want to go through um, a couple different takeaways from the Queen of Versailles documentary, and then we can kind of go through the lawsuits that he's been involved in that are that are not really uh, mentioned in that documentary. But we've kind of alluded to um, uh, Jackie Siegel, his wife. She was Miss Florida in 1993, and um, after his two divorces, which were particularly expensive for him, even though he was kind of a deadbeat dad for the first one. But I believe the second one, he paid out something like $200 million, um, you know, in court costs. And uh, then he gets involved with uh, Miss Florida in 1993, Jackie Siegel, and uh, they eventually get married. And then they're building this uh, Versailles house. Um, and she uh, confesses, Jackie Siegel, in the documentary, that up to 2008, she was spending about a million dollars a year shopping. Which is like you can kind of like see her closet in the yeah. documentary, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Oh, that's where all that goes." Yeah, but on her fiftieth uh, birthday party, which uh, one of the Minnesotes is about, she's giving away fur jackets as a party gift gift to her patron, the people that come to the birthday party. Um, yeah, and so <laughs> she has enough fur coats to just get. You know, like you're like, "Oh, I bought an extra bottle of hot sauce. I'll just give this to a friend." She she does that with fur coats. That's how it feels for most of America, giving away a hot sauce. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's fucking crazy. She gives one to over people. She <laughs> gives a fur coat to his son, and he instinctively starts eating it. <laughs> <laughs> Better than the cabbage, mom. <laughs> um, oh, there's something. I don't know if I'll put it up in the Tumblr, but they briefly pan over in the documentary when they're going through a house. Through the house, there's a painting of them, uh, Jackie and David Siegel, on a stallion. Oh, <laughs> it's just like the most gaudy rich people shit. And it's like... Yeah. They, know, have, they have a bunch of gold shit, too. Like Trump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah, like... Gold chairs. They really are like Trump rich people, where it's like there's multiple points in the documentary where Jackie Siegel is just like going to McDonald's and getting these like huge orders for like all her like people and stuff. You know, so it's like... Whatever you want to call it, the kind of... Um, Unnecessarily rich. That's what you call it. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, one thing I, I've learned from watching about two hours of various uh, Jackie Siegel interviews and her uh, attempt at making reality TV is like, you know, sure, we cover billionaires that are uh, frivolous... Frivolously... 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 It's not easy to say, guys. Anyway, you knew the word I was trying to say. 
I mean, like, but there are thousands upon thousands of millionaires that live similar lives. Yogi's and, been very hungry, so he can't remember words anymore. <laughs> His dad has only been sending him clothes. <laughs> clothes and cabbage. It's been a hard life. By life, I mean two days. <laughs> Sorry, what are you saying? Yogi? No, but I mean, like, you know, you talk. we talk about uh, billionaires and the corrupt ways they got that way. But then once they become this wealthy, there's no concern for like, oh, I don't know, let's not waste money on bullshit. But that's what a good chunk of their lives usually are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's just interesting where it's like the whatever you want to call them, the kind of Trump effect where essentially, again, she's spending a million dollars a year on uh, shopping and she still eats at McDonald's, where right. I guess that's just the way she was raised, but it's like, <laughs> she's I mean, a come Buffett on. Fan. Yeah. <laughs> that, but that's the thing, though. It's like they have this like air of like, I mean, yeah, we spent a million dollars shopping, but, you know, I'm a regular person. I eat McDonald's. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, maybe that makes it worth it in her mind. Right, right. She's actually very, um, you know, shrewd. Well, and like in, in your shopping, in the uh, cele- I poison myself just like anybody else. <laughs> in the uh, celebrity wife swap uh, at the uh, Siegel's household, they were doing uh, Botox injection parties with the children around, and she's got like two young twin girls. And the wife of the other husband, I can't remember his name right now, is like, "Yeah, we're gonna shut this Botox party down. I don't think this is appropriate for children." And then David Siegel's like, "That's how he talks in my mind." But it's just after the injection, right? Yeah, yeah. He just eats a whole fish. Um, but so essentially like the documentary chronicles them dealing with the 2008 meltdown. And it's pretty interesting where we mentioned they were kind of living high on the boom years, building this huge house. Um, and so Dave Siegel himself says, and I'm, this is a quote from the movie, anybody that was breathing and had the down payment, we would write them. We would underwrite their loan for a timeshare. So essentially, they were selling these timeshares for 10% down, 90% mortgaged, Mm -hmm. and then they were packing those into mortgage-backed securities and selling them off, which as of at least 2017, they are now, again, securitizing their mortgage loans and selling them off for timeshares. But it is just interesting where it's like, you know, he was just as uh, responsible as everybody else for this meltdown where you're uh, writing 90% mortgages and not giving a shit if they right. have the underlying financials to repay that mortgage because you're selling it off. Um, but ultimately, uh, the construction on the house has to pause. They put the house on the market, try to find a buyer. Uh, they've um, uh, not able to sell it. They've since been able to uh, uh, continue construction, and they say it's going to be done in a couple years. But they show in the documentary they have to fire about 7,000 people from the company. Uh, which is, you know, I mean, sad. It's a lot of people got lay- laid off because of his irresponsibility. Uh, they sold off about $350 million in assets, according to him. Uh, they also show in the documentary, uh, in the, at the start of the documentary, they have 19 people working at the house. Mm-hmm. They have to fire 15 of them. So they only have four people working. And it's interesting because there's like, I think, three dogs in the house. Yeah. So the camera uh, uh, people keep showing like various shots of just dog shit on the carpets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and like their fish dies and stuff because sure, nobody's sure. looking after it. Just like the kind of shit that happens. Yeah. The, 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 the household crumbles because nobody realizes when you're not uh, hiring an army of people to take care of everything, shit's going to pile up mm-hmm. like poop literally right but so um the uh, the 
The documentary also chronicles their opening of um, this big resort in Las Vegas, which I think they sank like 300 some million into. Mm -hmm. And uh, the bank keeps being like, just give it to us, you know? (laughs) Right. Like they're like um, saying, and eventually they have to sell this big resort in Las Vegas in 2011. They sell it. But they have since, I believe in 2014, he rebought a property in Vegas uh, for $180 million. Uh, so he, he was able to, in 2011, he sold off this Vegas property. Then he was able to repair, excuse me, repair his finances enough to uh, rebuy a different property in 2014. And Barry Manilow has a residency there. Oh. <laughs> so if you're interested in Barry Manilow... And you would like to uh, have a property you will not be able to sell. <laughs> uh, I know somewhere you can go in Las Vegas. Um, but so, yeah, essentially the documentary um, uh, details their fall. And he would sue the documentary for like implying that Westgate was like bankrupt because he said it was like hurting his business because obviously nobody will buy a timeshare if they think there's no money in Westgate. Mm-hmm. The lawsuit was eventually thrown out because it was entirely his own statements in the actual movie. Um, but they they struggle. They eventually recover. And uh, now they're doing fine. Well, and- they are doing fine except for the... Well, you want to talk about the, should we talk about the overdose now? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting where um, Jackie Siegel's an interesting character where essentially she said, like, she likes the limelight and these sorts of things. Um, but so they have this Queen of Versailles documentary in there for three years, and uh, their, their daughter, Victoria Siegel, is, um, goes through different things throughout the documentary, but you can imagine maybe having filmmakers in your house for three years is kind of a stressful thing in addition to growing up in a rich family where uh, your father doesn't love you <laughs> and is constantly <laughs> yelling at you to turn off the lights right? and just these kinds of stuff. But uh, their daughter, uh, Victoria Siegel, uh, sadly died of a drug overdose in 2015. Uh, it was a Zoloft and methadone overdose. She was 18 years old, and uh, she was a, a prominent part of the documentary. So, you know, yeah, sad it, thing. In uh, some of the interviews with uh, David and Jackie Siegel, they talk about how... Uh, uh, Victoria, the daughter, put herself in rehab uh, for a addiction to um, Xanax, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, in rehab, she met a guy and uh, be, that who became her boyfriend. And that boyfriend's ex sent text messages that were very rude or heinous, and that was what pushed her over on the overdose. But uh, the thing that I find most uh, damaging and, and terrible is that uh, in one of the main interviews that I see with Dave and Jacqueline, they say, like, uh, I mean, you know, we didn't know. If you look at the photos, her eyes were never glassed over. Like, we just didn't know. It's like, oh, really? When it came to fucking over millions of people, you didn't figure out that your daughter was on fucking drugs, you pieces of shit? And the 50th birthday party that I mentioned earlier happened uh, in the same year that uh, her daughter uh, overdosed. And so she's having this lavish affair, and there's just like one quick aside where she's like, I mean, it's... It's kind of uh, sad that uh, my my daughter died this year, but it's nice to know how many people care about me. It's just like, you <laughs> fucking tone-deaf idiot. It's fucking horrible. Yeah. At this 50th birthday party, I'll, I just want to mention this, uh, she she always has like fake surprises that she clearly knows about, but uh, there's a, uh, a little person stripper that's in a cake that's going to pop out, mm-hmm. and um, she calls uh, him a midget uh, in a clip that might be gifted to you at the end of this episode, but uh, it's so great to see David Siegel at this 50th birthday party sitting next to a little person dancing half naked and just being like, what the fuck did I do with my life? <laughs> This is fucking stupid. 
his daughter's last words were, uh, Dad, I'd like to buy some of your property to <laughs> do a new timeshare idea. It's a new strategy for timesharing. If I could just get 10 of your acres. Yeah, she uh, she died in uh, Vegas while they were vacationing in oh. Utah. And it's like, I don't know, it's like, you know, an overdose uh, is, is very sad uh, regardless of the situation. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, if you're vacationing while one of your children is overdosing, I'm going to put a bit more of the blame on you. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean... There's there's really nothing to say more. Uh, it's obviously tragic, but it, you can watch the documentary yourself and just the way she deals with uh, her uh, clearly dysfunctional family and uh, extreme amounts of wealth. I think is enough to fuck anybody's head up. And uh, you know, I'm reading I'm reading this article on Daily Mail about uh, the death of Victoria, and it's it's uh, apparently that celebrity wife swap uh, episode was broadcasted just days before. Or the daughter died, but her mother admitted that their house was so big that they could go days without seeing some kids. <laughs> Healthy family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, you get uh, you get words that your friends are there to play with you, and like they'll be here in like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> They're at the front door, so you'll see them in about 20, 20, 22 hours. They have to have a map, and like, this is a, top- a topographical map. It's like Chumanji. They're like, I don't, how, do we, how do we get there? They're like, at least our daughter didn't have to see a midget jump out of a cake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so I do just kind of want to talk about uh, the various... Um, oh, and they set up a charity. Yeah, they, they set up a charity website. Uh, you know, who gives a fuck what, what it's right. titled? But uh, on it, you can donate you know, money to... Uh, one of those self-promotional charities. Yeah, right, right. You can uh, donate money and, like, I was showing Stephen, like... A, you can a, donate money to a billionaire. Uh, yeah, right, And exactly. he promises he'll spend yes. it to do yes. something about addiction. This guy that has spent most of his life uh, frauding people in various ways and make you believe you own something you don't will totally take your money and so use it <laughs> to support awareness on drug abuse. Mm-hmm. What drug abuse exactly? Well, it's up for debate. On the website, it says, like, donate here, and, like, a whole bunch of, like, the charity rules, and it's like, your charitable donation is 100% tax-free, and in my head, it's like, David Siegel put that in, being like, well, I feel like rich people will donate knowing that it's 100% tax-free. I don't know. It's terrible is what it is. Maybe the real drug is money. (laughs) Get the fuck out of here, Sean. (laughs) You're off the podcast. (laughs) We're going to hire Connor Arpwell. But so... I guess we should kind of talk about uh, why we're being so disrespectful here, because there have been a ton of different lawsuits. um, And and, uh, I guess I want to start with um, the employees, because this one is like really heartbreaking to me. And, you know, we talk about David Siegel being a deadbeat dad. He's also a deadbeat employer. And again, he's going around self-proclaiming himself as a billionaire, but he's also fucking his employees out of money. Like whatever you think about, um, condo sales itself it's like there are people who are working for him on commission right. and in 2007 uh, uh, thir- 350 of them filed a class action lawsuit against him which essentially said he just didn't pay them their commissions hmm. you know so um in 2013 and so this is just kind of like what happens with the legal system is that rich people have the ability to wait it out yeah if you are like an ex-salesperson who like is about to lose your house, 
you don't have six years no. to wait for your money to come. So essentially, what happens is this 2007 lawsuit, eventually, um, I think they were asking for about a million dollars between them, the 350 employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I think, settled for 650000 but then Siegel doesn't pay, and so the employees get more and more desperate, and then they take 500000 Oh, wow. So in 2013, they agree to take 500000 which is about half of what they were asking for. Right. And um, there's this article where they quote a couple of the... Uh, this is from Myrtle Beach Online. I'll put it on the Tumblr. But they quote a couple of different employees, and uh, Geraldo Vieira says, quote, it's shameful what they've done, but I have renal disease and might not see the money if we have to wait another three years to get it. Kara Sullivan says she is, quote, tired of fighting a very long battle. If we had stolen from Mr. Siegel, we would have been put in jail. He is stealing from us. And uh, 500 grand is, is yeah. what they eventually received? Yeah, between wow. 350 employees. Fucking pennies. Yeah. Fucking pennies to David. Yeah, and again, this is for straight-up wage theft. Right, like right. Like, it is stealing from people. And the most fucked-up part is they, they pay out in 2013 after essentially waiting the employees out to take half of what they had been uh, rightfully owed under the law. Uh, in January 2015, Westgate Resorts uh, sues them. And this is just uh, straight-up from Wikipedia. But according to the Orlando Sentinel, uh, many of those uh, claiming that it deserves to recover these sales commissions Mm -hmm. that it just paid out Um, from the Orlando Sentinel. Many of those included in the new lawsuits feel that these new legal actions are quote retaliation for the award granted to the defendants in a class action lawsuit. Um, And then one of the lawyers representing those employees quote said it is quote unconscionable. Unconscionable. (laughs) Sean, have you been having cabbages? Yeah. (laughs) That fucking swamp cabbage. (laughs) Yes. I, I tell you. But so basically, he didn't pay his fucking employees because he's a cheapskate deadbeat. And, uh, you know, he's a fucking asshole. Oh, and then the other thing we, we should mention. Uh, in the documentary, there's uh, there's a scene where they, they, he hosts, like, I believe, either the Miss America or Miss World contestants. Mm-hmm. Like, he hosts them every year. And he's a fucking creep to them. Yeah, of course he is. And like unsurprisingly, he would, of course, uh, uh, be found liable in a sexual harassment lawsuit, which we'll talk about in just one second. But essentially, like in the documentary, you can see, uh, first of all, he's like very touchy, you know, like putting his arm around. The camera kind of captures this pretty well, like the various Miss America mm-hmm. or Miss World contestants. And then the, uh, the, the filmmakers are like interviewing one of them and... Uh, I guess he's asking her if she wants to like settle down and have babies. And uh, she goes like, oh, I don't know. And then he's like, well, I'm just waiting for you to accept my proposal. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then he walks out of the room and like she's just kind of like nervously like he's a, he's a funny guy. <laughs> Gross. And of course, again, he's, he's married and we believe still married to Jackie Siegel. Yeah, I know. He, he still is. In uh, the last Minnesota that is that fake reality show or mm-hmm. real. Who cares? Um there's a Super Bowl party, and uh, David is in Vegas, and she is celebrating it in Florida. And uh, she's like, hey, how many people are going to come to the event? And he's like, oh, it's 10,000. And they're talking. She's like, all right, well, I love you. And he's like, uh, I love you too. Like begrudgingly <laughs> saying I love you at the end of this phone call, mm-hmm. as if to say there's women in the room that he's about to fuck, and he's got to say I love you on the phone. Um, so the sexual harassment lawsuit was originally filed by one of the former employees at his spa, um, and, uh, she, I believe 
She, she eventually got, I think, $600,000, according to Orlando, Orlando Magazine. But um, she has said, uh, her name is Dawn Myers. She's a, a spa employee. And she said she was fired uh, after working there for 14 years. She claims Siegel offered her a million dollars for sex and uh, that he also sexually harassed and groped her repeatedly in the 1990s and 2000s while she, in 2000 while she dated one of his sons. And she also alleges that she, uh, he exposed himself to her uh, on at least one occasion. Again, this is his employee. And uh, they, they went through the legal wranglings for a while, and eventually she was awarded about $600,000 for this. Uh, but yeah, um, really just a profile in Trump voters today. Yeah, it really is. It um, Boy, are they terrible human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only... Because like... You shouldn't you shouldn't be judged the rest of your life for something you did when you were 52. <laughs> <laughs> I mean like they're they're criminals. You know that's the thing that that I hate about uh this sometimes is that like we can't just outright be like oh no they're they're literally you know the term criminal is is um mentally you think of people in prisons but really this class of people should always be considered when we talk about people who are doing illegal deeds to benefit themselves and fuck over the world. What do you think Dave Siegel's favorite part of uh, Judge Kavanaugh's judicial philosophy is? <laughs> I think he appreciated all the beer talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did, um, did you hear uh, uh, Bud Bud Light sponsoring Kavanaugh? <laughs> so he's going to be wearing that Bud Light jacket on the Supreme Court. Beer. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of a cloak or a robe, rather, it's going to be a, ter- a t-shirt. <laughs> it says, it's like Bud Light, I love beer. Yeah, it'll be a tank top. And he's gonna. Every time anyone else will be like, uh, "Do do you agree on this? Yay or nay?" And other court judges will be like, "Yay, yay." He's gonna go, "What's up?" That's his. That's his. I, I bought one of those notorious RBG shirts, and uh, Kavanaugh's exposed dick is in the background. <laughs> it's on her shoulder. <laughs> Um, but so we should just kind of talk about, um, a couple more of these lawsuits and then we'll get to your wonderful gift. But so as of tw- uh, September, 2018, there's Sean, been, Sean, could you, could you like be more excited about the gift? We really want <laughs> to, finish the episode. uh, some, some of you have asked about the gift. It's coming <laughs> <laughs> four hours into this podcast. <laughs> Look, you know, what would really get you the gift is if you just signed on this dotted line here. <laughs> Uh, but so uh, September 2018, there's been a class action lawsuit against one of their places in Tennessee. Um, the lawyers allege that uh, there's a, quote, secret pocket uh, in the leather binders that um, uh, uh, Westgate uh, salespeople will present to the clients. Really? And basically in this secret secret pocket is the document that says in most states, you have usually five to ten days to essentially say, never mind on a um, timeshare purchase because of the high-pressure sales tactics and people don't always know what they're getting into. So the law usually says you have five or ten days to be like, no, never mind, I'm sorry. But so Westgate employees were putting this part of the disclosure thing in a secret pocket on the leather uh, folder that they would give to people. And then they were also in um, the uh, flex packages, as we mentioned, uh, they would just... You would save spend thirty thousand. According to one woman, spent thirty thousand. Another spent eighteen thousand. And then every time she went to book, it was busy, because they just sell the right. same property oh a million times. In that secret pocket, it's that piece of paper, and it's also uh, drenched in chloroform. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the secret pocket is is where the food he was gonna send to his son is. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a little ad urging them not to vote Gillum. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then I think, Steve, you looked at this, but they were also, I believe, sued for uh, uh, illegally selling to Brazilian people where they would have uh, the uh, uh, sales materials, all of it in Portuguese, except for, I believe, yeah. this five to ten day uh, walk away paper would be in English. Yeah, the sales contract and everything was actually just in English and there's no translator provided. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just so fucking scummy. And uh, they paid, I believe, nine hundred thousand uh, in two thousand nine for um, basically telemarketing violations. Hmm. There were like people on do not call list that they would still call and harass. So they paid about nine hundred thousand. I think they paid about five hundred thousand for aggressive sales tactics um, to CFT um, in another lawsuit. And then, of course, you know the. Um, the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau we mentioned, but it is just kind of interesting where you can like look at the court filing. Uh, so, uh, and I'm just quoting from it. First, Westgate argues that the bureau is unconstitutional and thus has no inth- authority to uh, <laughs> investigate its content. Wow. And then like, there's like a four page legal thing where I think in March, 2016, they ruled like multiple courts have ruled that the CFPB <laughs> is constitutional. So we will... Uh, allow the document turnover to go over. But basically, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, we kind of mentioned, was investigating them, and uh, it demanded the turnover of a bunch of documents for all of these kind of sales tactics that we've mentioned, this high-pressure stuff, and then, you know, uh, Trump got elected, and the investigation disappeared. But it is kind of funny where it's like... um, Is it funny? Well, I was just thinking, (laughs) like, it's kind of like... It's kind of like being a soldier for the Khmer Rouge, where being a salesperson for Westgate, where like you're out there killing people, and then he's like, "Yeah, I'm not going to pay you your commission right, either." Right, right. <laughs> you know, eventually the violence you visit on others will be visited Great upon comparison. you. But you know what, guys? Yes. We we should talk about, and I I know this isn't uh, going to be received that well, but uh-huh. all of the money that David didn't spend. I know this isn't going to be received that well, but there is no gift. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, guys, all the money David didn't use to pay his employees was used on million-dollar shopping sprees by his (laughs) wife and family. Not for the kids, but for the wife. And I think that's, you know, pretty romantic. That that house just got one room bigger. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The gift is uh, all of you can stay in the palace at Versailles in Orlando for one week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, as of uh, 2017, they are still building the house at Versailles. They are still married. Jackie Siegel is still kind of on a, a self-promotional blitz. Dave Siegel is uh, still a billionaire, still a Trump supporter. And, uh, you know, until the, the next bottom falls out of the securitization industry, uh, they're, they're doing all right. Um, I guess anything else we didn't get to? And with that, this has been Grubstakers. Wait, we pr- we did promise them a gift. Well, they'll get it, but uh, after the credits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's like a Marvel movie. Yeah, exactly. W- yeah. Well, listener, we know you've come this far just for the gift. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we would we would never record a podcast where we tease something at the beginning and then have no plan no. and in- intend to throw something together and no. post God, God, for no. your listenership. God, no. All of this have been building up to the reveal. And 
much like the writers of Lost. <laughs> we started with the gift mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. we were researching this episode. That's right. And you are going to hear it right now, and it ties all of this episode together. And once again, we want you to know that this final gift is going to be received by you as long as you hadn't paused or stopped this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and you also made sure to uh, subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star review Yeah, uh, and leave the password... Uh, David Siegel is a fraud in your review of our podcast. And more importantly, you looked beautiful today because we, we know if you don't look good as well. Yeah. If, if you're disappointed with the gift, our first question is, did you pause the episode <laughs> at any point? Did you come back and listen to it next day? Because that's not what we that's said. Not, uh-uh. You broke the terms of the contract. <laughs> no gift for you. And uh, with that, I'm Yogi Polywall. Steve Jeffries. I'm Sean McCarthy. Uh, Andy will be back next week to uh, get you to sign up for our Patreon. I ask Schultz questions that I assume all wrestlers have been asked dozens of times. What? Is this a good business? Yeah, it's a good business. I wouldn't be in it if it wasn't. Why is it a good business? Because only the tough survive. That's the reason you ain't in it. And this punk holding the camera reading he ain't in it. Reading these rednecks out here ain't in it because it's a tough business. That's terrific. Wait, is that all you got? I asked you the standard question. You know? Standard question. I think this is fake. You think it's fake? What's that? Is that fake? Huh? What the hell's wrong with you? That's open hand slap, huh? You think it's fake?